Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. Hey, man, I'm excited to announce a great community and platform that I've been working with called Rare Liquid. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I was at an incredible event in Paso Robles with the Rare Liquid team and their founding artist and producer, Turtle Rock Vineyards. Uh, you might remember this was my number one wine from 2021, my famous Blackberry Cobbler a la mode motherfucker. Uh, Rare Liquid is really cool. They're building a network of artists and producers, collectors, and storage providers to solve the provenance problem for the rare wine and spirit industry. Members get access to verified limited edition drops from elite producers and can frictionlessly share, trade, gift, and monetize their collections. While for the first time in history, artists and producers can earn a royalty payment every time their bottles trade on the platform. Rare Liquid is expanding to 560 members through their invite-only Founders Club drop. You can check it out at rareliquid.club, which I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Rare Liquid has given me a limited number of membership invitations. If you're interested in an invitation and learning more, hit me up on Instagram at MJTaller, or you can just send an email to blackwineguy at gmail.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a Black Wine Guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Gentlemen, welcome to a joint production of the Black Wine Guy Experience and the Winemakers Pod. Hey everybody, what's going on? It's your boy MJ. It is another collaboration between the Winemakers and the Black Wine Guy Experience. This time we are recording live at the DTC, which is Direct to Consumer Wine Symposium in Conford, Concord, California. Uh, and we have uh, we're just gonna have a slew of just different guests from all facets of the wine business who are here um, sharing ideas, right? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be one that um, I think uh, people in the business will um, learn some things that will help them in their own businesses, and consumers will help them get educated about what's going on and uh, maybe make their ability to buy wine uh, better. So our first guest is Hugh Scallon, correct, Hugh? That's right. Uh, Vice President, Head of Video Activation for VaynerMedia. And um, MJ, MJ's had some time in person with uh, with Gary V. Um, That's so. my one hundred thousand dollar podcast. <laughs> he charges he charges one hundred thousand dollars until one fifty for a keynote, so he gave me an hour of his time. So I'm I'm I, I call it the hundred thousand dollar podcast. That's, That's underpriced attention. Uh, totally, and he brought a shot of Hermitage. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the perks of doing a wine podcast. Absolutely. So we're just so huge. So don't be afraid of the microphone. Come a little closer. Yeah. Want to get, so, you know, yeah. get that handsome face in there. Hugh, tell us. Um, so you're here um, and you were part of the keynote um, uh, speech this morning. Um, can you kind of give us a little idea of you know what it is that you do and what you were talking about today? Sure. Thanks again for having me. Uh, it was great to be at the Wine Symposium today. Uh, today we spoke about the democratization of modern video and the future of 
wine advertising. We call it TV 3.0. Um, certainly not here to talk about, Van, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's wine uh, uh, endeavors, but uh, I do head up video activation at VaynerMedia. So we work with clients thinking about over and above social media. We believe that brands are built in social media. And part of my role is to add elements of additional scale to that, whether it be linear TV or streaming TV. I've been with the agency for about 18 months. Before that, I ran my own consultancy uh, where I did some projects in the in the wine industry. And before that, you know, 25 years in the business, client side, agency side, ad tech platforms. But we really felt this morning in the keynote that we wanted to send the signal that I feel that we're on the precipice of an age this decade when Television can be accessed by smaller brands other than just the Fortune 100, especially through streaming, connected TV, OTT, go down the list. And what we talk to clients at Vayner about is thinking about the contextual creative that you develop in social and finding ways to potentially bridge that activation into streaming TV, your Plutos and Tubis and Hulus of the world. We have ads in Disney Plus and HBO Max and Netflix. Uh, so what we took the audience through today is really a different marketplace than they might think. Streaming TV is the number one way to watch television, according to Nielsen. And we showed them how smaller brands, uh, specifically in the wine business, can develop TV creative and get up on air for less than they would think, as little as $500 uh, from Hulu Ad Manager that we talked about. So TV 3.0 was the sum of the talk. And what that is, is really the TV that we know, the TV that's becoming more digital every day in front of our eyes. Uh, and for a lot of people, the fact that TV is social media. We have audiences spending several hours a day watching video on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. And we encourage brands to think more fluidly about how to win in that video marketplace as opposed to having silos that don't talk to each other. Talk about, because you, you, during the, um, your presentation, you talked about uh, if you could share some of the, the, the statistics of like the amount of time spent on streaming. I think people don't realize how much time people spend yeah on social and like what you're talking about i'm streaming this right now on tiktok um live on tiktok yeah live on tiktok what's your hashtags oh you have to i gotta some have hashtags, hashtags. yeah okay well I, well I haven't when i finish it <laughs> i'll put i'll use a hashtag for a symposium once we end the there live we go. there yeah, you yeah. go exactly um but i, mean, I was my, blown away by some of those stats my, my kid spends hours on tiktok and instagram and um all those things. He's 15. Um, I, I know for myself, I spend way too much time on it. Now, streaming is a different thing for yeah. me. Um, I'm not fully, we're still, you know, paying the cable. Um, we haven't gotten into streaming. But but what you're talking about is whatever it is that you're watching on streaming, you're saying wineries can start to target locally um, uh, ads that can be fit in. Because yeah. For those of us that think there's no ads on streaming, that's just not true. Uh, well, there were no ads on Netflix until a couple months ago. But but yes, there are more and more ads on what we get as streaming. Yeah, YouTube um, has ads. Um, YouTube has that. YouTube's number one way to watch YouTube now is on television. So that's a, um, a paradigm shift. But I mean, to go back to your original question, just start at the macro level and kind of work my way down. Uh, some of the data we have indicate the average adult is spending about two and a half hours a day in social media. Mm -hmm. 
some uh, Gen Z audiences are spending two, a movie's worth of time a day watching TikTok video. So to them, that's sort of a form of TV. We have cord cutters and cord nevers, uh, the people that will never really get cable. I think one of the ways that the industry likes to look at, and I'm not sure if this is the best way, measurement is a cross-screen measurement is a whole other podcast. Uh, if you want to go down uh, and talk about Nielsen and go down the list. But one of the stats that we showed the audience today was, 10.5 billion hours of streaming consumed in one month last year from just the top baker's dozen of streaming apps. And most all of them take ads. So the, the quantity is the scale is significant. Um, as TV becomes more digital and digital, be, digital IP comes into TV, we have more ad opportunities for more people to bid against them. And I think that opens up opportunities at the micro level for wineries to begin to promote their product on television, uh, especially where, you know, they can uh, deliver it direct to consumers. Interesting. So like I've heard the term screen time. So it's, it's, it was, it's really kind of the fact that smart, like people are on a screen yeah. is what's, is we say that's kind of at the heart of democratizing this, this, this creating this opportunity is that people, uh, you know, I used to, watch a TV show. I'd have my phone, my iPad, and I'm watching TV. Ding, ding, right? ding, ding, ding. Yeah, you nailed it. We uh, call it modern video for modern living rooms, right? Right. Yeah. If you got to watch an ad, you can look at Instagram while you're right. you know, <laughs> going on, right, on TV. I mean, it happens. It, it totally happens. Or, or you're, you're, you're following like a Twitter space or Twitter stream on the show. It, you know, you're watching like, you know, um, Breaking Bad or something like that, right? And there's, yeah. there's, there's conversations going on. And the Academy Award. And yeah, exactly, right. You know, those sort of things. So uh, it's happening already. There might be a QR code on the screen. You're already on your phone anyway. You're in a lean back environment, biggest screen in the home, brand safe content. You can engage with that content. If you had a Roku stick, you could basically point the remote at the screen. Now, if that was a winery, I might be able to buy pretty quick. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I've gotten out of my chair and gone up to uh, the TV and gotten that QR code. And looked at that company's yeah. website. Yeah, I mean, so it's like direct marketing. All you need is a certain percentage of response, you know, to drive the business. But we're going to have more and more interactive, connected TV ads. I think the, the other um, foundational point I should have mentioned earlier was um, some of the data from eMarketer. We have sort of this crossing the Rubicon moment um, last year, which was we have more non-pay TV homes than we do traditional cable TV, pay TV homes. And so in the audience today, we asked for a show of hands, how many people have cut the cord, you know, got rid of the cord? And it fits the data, you know, we're at about 50-50 now. So the critical mass of people that get their mm. TV through a digital IP or a pipe or what have you, that, that's significant. Uh, we can see that media companies are racing in, consumers, they, you know, with the pandemic, they raced in, obviously. So now brands are sort of trying to figure out how do I catch up and then maybe brands that never thought they could be on TV. There's now an on-ramp to television, the sight, sound, emotion of TV and the emotion of TV creative. Um, that can happen for more companies than less. There's only two to 300 brands that are really on major primetime you know, TV or what have you. Mm -hmm. There's um, a couple thousand on cable and there's a million on what Facebook and um, Google, what is the total addressable market for streaming TV for brands? If I told you there were billions of ad impressions available a month, uh, that's a big market. Crazy. That is crazy. And I think it's timely because I've, you know, I've seen with influencer marketing, that's one thing, but I, I think what you're talking about, like 
I've seen brands that'll will, that'll uh, will drop. You know, they'll they'll pay like ten influencers. Five, so it's been five yeah. grand. It's big I, business. I, I, but I think I think what you're talking about it's more effective of the money like to actually be on the big screen with a qr code because actually then they can track it because on social you scroll it you use very hard uh there obviously there are programs but i know very few influencers that are gonna be like yeah you can go into my profile and look at my stats or to see how many i actually you know so i think for when you're talking about direct to consumer like this actually gets it direct this is not it's nice to be stylized but th when you talk about um ROI, like you said, like the whole thing with the QR code, that's amazing, right? You just go boom, buy. Well, yeah, let me double click on that one. Um, we talk about VaynerMedia. We believe that we can build brand and social. Let's say, for example, that we are knocking it out of the park with a couple of influencers. Uh, we film, we have video, right? We begin to put them on Snapchat, um, Instagram, YouTube, go down the list. The algorithms are beginning to find right. It's telling me like what video works versus we, we among the set, that. right? <laughs> and let's say there's five influencers, but two of them we found right. You yeah. know, it might be on TikTok yep. or what have you. Right. Well, now I have that film. <laughs> if I re-render it with pros like you guys, I could put that on Hulu and Tubi and Pluto. Well, wait a minute. That's TV 3.0. So I have a social media video strategy. I have contextual creative. I bridge that up into larger scale. I can now put my social video influencer on my TV in a single frame, like a phone, yeah. full vertical motion video. And in the aspect ratio of these beautiful smart TVs, I have room on the left and the right, a palette to put right, in QR code, the logo, yeah. an yeah. offer, yeah. other stuff. And we're gonna see more and more TV ads that look like smartphone video stuff like we see in the news. Yeah. Uh, there's just too much real estate to work with and too many bottoms up opportunities to connect social video and streaming. And so we're it's emerging. We're starting to talk to clients about this. Um, look, zig versus zag and um, find underpriced attention. Cool, cool, man. Really cool. Well, thanks. I mean, you got yeah, thank you. On. Yeah, I mean, I would say um, what uh, what are five things for wineries to um, consider real quick before? Before they jump into this well i wrote four things but okay. yeah i was gonna say or three <laughs> all right what what are some takeaways give give give, yeah. some, give give our people out there watching a few key takeaways well i think you know one of them is um critical mass okay right we have critical mass of the audience after the pandemic in um streaming tv right um 80 85 million homes we have significant critical mass in social video especially the TikTokification of these videos um you know, reels, shorts, uh, spotlight, Pinterest, go down the list, right? <laughs> the second thing is really just the fusion of TV 3.0. It's right, the TV that we know, the TV that's become more digital for a lot of people, social media is TV, that think about the fluidity between those asset classes as opposed to like wildly separate siloed budgets or what have you. Uh, the third is uh, the barriers to entry. Um, they're going down for brands that would like to use television to add to their marketing mix, something they thought they could not do, could not afford. So you have digital marketing characteristics coming to TV. Um, I think that's really interesting. And then lastly, um, just through the tea leaves, we have streaming TV, NFL football Thursday night, Apple into MLS and baseball. Uh, Google's going to get Sunday ticket. I'm you YouTube got Sunday ticket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, YouTube TV is a viable product. So that's that's, that's going to kill like ABC. That's that's going to kill because well, I think it's a big it's a big pie. So you, but well, younger you audience football makes up the majority of Nielsen ratings. It, yes, the top yeah, programs they are 
they're definitely football. Yeah, um, it's crazy. And then, like I said, the the maybe the last thing was that you can migrate and bridge your social video onto the television and make them work together uh, and get the kind of reporting back that you've come to expect from digital media over the last decade. Cool, cool, man. Good awesome. stuff. Thank you very much for All right, being thank on. You. Uh, everybody out there, we'll be back in a little bit. Have a good conference. So-and-so at the pepper mill and it's really impressed by the conversation and and you know i you know i'm in reno and i i'm a beverage director but i built this like studio where we're recording shows and you know would love to have you come out and i was like wrong black guy <laughs> i'm like first of all i'm the i'm like wrong guy so i just said so i just sat on, yeah so, so i sat i sat i sat on it for for a second right for like a couple of days and then so i finally I, when i got I was, I was answering email, i said i said hey man thanks so much for reaching out i said um but um i don't you know i i said uh, is the pepper mill in reno he's like yeah i was like i said well, i didn't meet your colleague <laughs> your colleague i was gonna say when were you in reno exactly. I love, I, I, that's where i went to school yeah, I, yeah, I spent I, some time with i was the like i was like i was like nah man it is like Oh, okay. He's like, oh, okay. Well, great content anyway. <laughs> so, and some dude did approach me. Uh, he, he's like, do you mind if I use BLK wine guy? And I didn't even respond. I was like, brother, it's not, I, I own it. I'm, have, you, have you met me? I'm like, I'm like, I mean, like, like I have every, uh, yeah, you know, like, like, you know, like, you know, so anyway, um, that was, that was just fun. So I, I, I was like, you know, I just could have had so much more fun with that. Like, I could have, I could have went the whole "we all look alike." I could, I could, I could have just busted his chops. Presidential suite at the Pepper Mill. Exactly, exactly. Right. Shows. But I was, Get like, it in. I was like, I said, I think I know who your guy talked to, though. <laughs> and that guy lives in Reno, so I'm sure, like, he's probably, I don't know, but anyway, it's funny. Look, from when you could be the black wine guy to the fact that there's a black wine guy in Reno, yeah. having gone lived in Reno for ten years, <laughs> that's a, that's like a, a really good progress, progress. in the world. That's progress. Progress. There's a, there's a black. There's there's a wine guy in Reno. Yeah. Period. He's a black guy. It's like mind blowing. I'm, I'm my mind is blown over here. All right. Okay, and welcome back to the winemakers. Uh, we are next. some wine. Oh my god. We are, we are next uh, joined by Steve Growth. Um, Steve is from the Wine Institute. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Steve. Welcome. Thanks. Um, Happy to be here. Uh, I thought we uh, Steve spoke at the um, at the keynote speech this morning um, and uh, kind of gave us uh, the download on what's going on for you folks that can't get wine shipped to you easily, like uh, me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, so the question is: is what's going on? Um, what's positive? What's negative? And sure. um, and thanks for being here. Well, happy to be here. It's interesting. You got the guy who always does PowerPoint slides with maps, trying to do a podcast and talk about, <laughs> talk about what looks things look like out there around the world. But uh, no, I, this symposium is always a great chance to update the folks in the industry, especially the people that are focused on the DTC channel about what's going on out there in all the states. And my role at Wine Institute is to oversee our lobbying activities and all the states around the country and you know to open up these markets i've been at it for 37 years and when we started there were no states you can ship to now there's 47. Damn. um so you know there was I, no states you could ship to at one time nope. couldn't cross state lines as of 1986 when i started doing this wait in the 80s there. you could that was my the, first harvest that is it was 1986 yep. 
Are you? Um, and, yep. and, and you know what? I guess you're right. I guess there wasn't any wow. direct-to-consumer then. People would come and pick it up at the tasting room, yep. and they would have to figure out their own way to get it home. Or they had never figured out that you couldn't do it. You know, right. I think that was part of it, too, perhaps. But, oh, uh, leave it in their hotel room. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> I know, it, it's been a, a sea change over the course of the years, but it's been hard fought, and lots of changes have taken place, and that's kind of always been my role at this conference since we started it, of kind of filling people in. So... Um, you know, I kind of tried to break it down into categories mm -hmm. this morning. You know, there's there's three states out there left that totally prohibit DTC shipping. You know, you've got Delaware and Mississippi and Utah. And I mentioned that, uh, you know, we did try in two of those states last year in Delaware and Mississippi. Weren't successful yet, but we're going to be back. We have some Delaware, momentum built up in Delaware. Because Delaware is like the, the corporation state. You think they would be down for business. Well, there's, yeah, there's some. Influential retailers in the state who would prefer we didn't ship. Gotcha. You also have gotcha. um, so the the wholesalers and the Teamsters who work with them have been very um, instrumental in blocking us in Delaware. So we, we're continuing to fight there, um, trying to open up Mississippi. And then Utah is the third one hanging out there that uh, remains an ongoing challenge. And it's one that we'll continue to try and open up. But one of the things I tried to make clear today, too, is it's not just about opening new states. It's about keeping the states open and improving the systems that are there in all the states because you do have some states that had you know when they originally passed their rules are not open to all wineries you have a few places where you like have a capacity cap um, wineries over 250,000 gallons or part of a conglomerate that's over 250,000 gallons can't still can't ship into New Jersey used to be the case in Arizona and um, in Ohio, Jersey. we fixed those recently. Fucking Jersey. Uh, <laughs> see, I didn't say that during my presentation. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we have a couple other things. There's like on-site restrictions in a couple states. I talked about that, that, you know, both Arkansas and Rhode Island require the consumer to actually physically be at your winery. So mm. when they place their order, so, you know, that's, that's okay. It's Arkansas. Yeah, it I'm not buying a lot of wine from Arkansas. We're, we're Rhode Island, though, you know. Yeah. Rhode Island's Rhode Island's the the Northeast. Yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who drink a lot of red wine. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, or just like it's that winery lifestyle. People like to visit wineries, you know. It it is, but it also it it, it certainly makes it harder for the consumers in those states to be able to do what the consumer right across the border could do. So yeah, yeah. We continue to fight and try and open those up. <coughs> we also have had more recently some other kinds of challenges, uh, you know, to our partners in shipping, the fulfillment houses that uh, a lot of the wineries depend upon to ship their wine out across the country. Um, some states have tried to crack down and stop fulfillment houses from being able to mm -hmm. do this. And Absolutely. they're, they're yeah. important partners in this business. So we've worked hard to try and keep those channels open. Um, they've gone after the common carriers in some places, FedEx and UPS, trying to make them responsible for knowing what's in the, the box so yeah. that they could report like- Olive oil. Yeah. That <laughs> <soon> <laughs> To, to, he wanted Merlot, yeah, right. you know. to um, quote uh, Uncle Bobby, the, pa the the transport never opened the package, right? <laughs> yeah. Never opened the package. That is your, <laughs> the transporter never opened yeah, no, the no, package. No, never opened. <laughs> so my world is to make sure that everybody follows those rules and, and that we, we keep the, the channels open for everybody. So we spent a lot of time and a lot of effort in trying to ensure that the statutes that are passed in the state's work for the wineries and and to make it so that this is a viable chain of commerce it's uh you know the ship compliant people are going to be doing their report tomorrow um along with the wine business guys and it's last year it was what 4.6 billion dollars worth of revenue um of, of what our business was done dtc from the wineries wow. um that's a big change when, when it was a, a market that didn't exist you know just 
35 years ago. So um, being able to protect that and keep it viable has been important. And that's a big part of what my colleagues and I at the Wine Institute work on all the time. I also thought it was interesting as um, direct consumer opens up for distilling and for beer, how you were talking about how we also, while it's great for them, we have to protect our own industry because yeah. they have come under different rules or rules could be looked at differently from those different industries. It's true. And, you know, we have our statues have been on the books for a long time, um, but now they're coming along and they're those folks, especially during the, the pandemic, looked over and saw what their colleagues, the wineries were able to do and realized that as microbrewers and as distillers, they weren't able to do the same thing and they want to change the rules so they can. Um, the opponents to allowing them to do that have tried to leverage the fact that there's been a DTC bill for spirits introduced or for beer to go in and chip away at what the wine industry would be able to do. Say, okay, yeah, you can do it, but it can only be of you know companies under a certain size. Mm -hmm. They've tried to reintroduce this idea of a capacity cap for distillers or for brewers saying, you know, we, we got to block out those big guys. Well, we don't want that to happen in the wine industry. We work really hard to make sure that every winery, regardless of their size, can do direct-to-consumer shipping because each of those big wineries also has library wines and small brands and things like that that their consumers want to get. And it shouldn't matter what size the producer is. Anybody should be able to take advantage of that law as long as they Hey, man, the if you want to buy Apothic Red, direct to your house, knock yourself out. Yeah. No, but you know, from a from a small producer standpoint, I, I kind of want the Gallo purchasing power in the shipping world. You know, if there's yeah, more shipping going on, you know, everybody's shipping either that or UPS and FedEx are going to make a giant amount of money. But hopefully it just like opens this up and and you have Gallo joining with, you know, the Wine Institute going, hey, New Jersey. Let's make shipping wine easier yeah. uh, to yeah. consumers. And that's, you know, it's it's a place where um, there is alignment between the needs yeah, of, yeah. of the small, you know, the small producer and the, and the big conglomerates. Yeah. And I think we've, we've done a good job in the wine side of keeping everybody on the same page right. and trying to work together. Um, and it's benefited everybody. Let me ask you a question. How does one become uh, – an advocate how did you what's your background were you in the wine are you a lawyer like how did that like um i well back when i started this i had been i studied public policy okay. and um yeah. but i bartended my way through college at the bar <laughs> there it is of, there it's it is. always there somewhere the nebraska legislators drank and so oh, there's a, <laughs> a good way to figure out how to become a lobbyist in the wine industry was to know, I mean, I learned more behind the bar, mm -hmm. listening to people come up and talk to state legislators and try and sell them something. And then the lobbyists would walk away and I heard the legislators talk amongst themselves. Yeah, but <laughs> well, I worked and didn't that know. guy's not getting shit for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. He's full he's, of it, he shit screwed me on that park thing. He's done. <laughs> yeah. And it was a great way to learn. And I've had the, the fortunate thing of doing this now for 37 years and having a great team of people out there across the country who represent us. And, you know, we have, I have a team of six full-time people that work for the Wine Institute who oversee our regions, but we have contract lobbyists in every state except North Dakota right now. So it's a, it's a big operation and there's nobody else out there in the entire alcohol beverage world that actually does quite what we do at the Wine Institute. And that's how we were able to get the direct shipping stuff done was through that structure. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we thank Seriously. you. Seriously, yeah. man. Anybody out there listening in the consumer world, yep. if you get wine that shows up at your house. Say, thanks, uh, Steve Gross. Thank you, Steve Gross. <laughs>
Send yeah. send what kind of wine do you send yeah, gifts yeah, send to? Wine. I'm an uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so the Wine Institute is on um, on the internet at wineinstitute.org. Correct. Correct. And I think you're on Instagram also, right? I believe we at, are at Wine Institute. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, give them a fall. Give yeah. them some support. Yeah, give them totally. some love. And, and if you're, we're you, not all afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> and it does. It's you know the wine. It sounds very authoritarian. You know, it's like an it authority. Does. It's the wine institute. But and I'm like, 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 usually those kind of places Darth don't Vader let me in. You know, So perhaps fair enough. Like, it's okay. got that. Okay. All right. That, it's, got, it's got. Yeah. That was um, that was a big thing in marketing back then. <laughs> I have a I have a seventies era uh, wine. Um, institute member sign the blue the, metal the blue one that yeah, looks like a, looks like a street like yeah, a street sign yeah, yeah my uncle had one of those too crew got switched over uh, okay. yeah, those, anyway, yeah. those are those are collector's items I, now. Yeah. so steve if you're you know our listeners are some lots of industry but there's also a lot of consumers yeah. what can you know what would you tell a consumer in any state how do you keep this channel open because we love receiving wine and, and you know buying wine from the people we hear on the podcast yep. and and you know well, how, do, how do we keep that going the whole symposium that we're here for is a fundraiser for frida grapes and that's our consumer and media outreach partner that we work with at all on all of this and FridaGrapes.org is the website you can go to you can sign up and in your state you know when we're doing a campaign on any of these bills in the state through the FridaGrapes.org, any consumer can go on there. We have suggested contact emails and stuff that can go to key legislators in your state. We'll craft the message for you. You can deliver it through the website. It'll go to the people that represent you in your state to let you know or let them know that you care about having wine shipped. So the, cool. the freethegrapes.org is the tool for both the wineries that would be interested and the consumers to go on. And in a state where we get a really big campaign going like we have right now in new jersey to try to get rid of the capacity cap we even create a free the grapes chapter in that state that would be free the grapes new jersey for example that that you he's know, calling me out like, right. he's calling i know me out, if but... only we knew somebody, <laughs> know, somebody who was influential in the wine business based in new jersey you know? guy right. in and maybe if there was anybody know. else in this room yeah. who, okay. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah so that's a great question and and the best thing they can do is go through that that website to mm -hmm. to get engaged. Freethegrapes.org. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks I'm for delighted all to do it. Thanks for what But you more did. importantly, the, thank you the, for the free and the great standard of keynotes, MJ. <laughs> the standard of keynotes. I think we're we have a lot to live up to tomorrow. That expectations. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maybe no more keynotes on this, Barbara. I don't want to like be any more nervous. <laughs> Steve, thanks a lot, and we'll make all that sure that all that information is on our um, social media. So. Terrific. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, man. <laughs>
I don't have beautiful all my downtown Concord, California. Exactly. There was no research done. There was no planning done. We showed up with our suitcase of microphones. <laughs> Barbara, thank you very much. And again, Barbara, there thanks was, for having us. There we, was we, some, we, there but, was some but, planning. But remember, it wasn't us that did yeah, the planning, exactly. but there was planning. But like, well, I was like, Barbara, like she approached us, like we we're like, like you know, keynote. That's like a strong word for guys like me and Sam. It's kind of we riff. So I met Shay when I did. If you watch my live from Walla Walla podcast, mm -hmm. she actually was in the audience. I met her, amazing wine maker, uh, female, black woman. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. Um, so, Shay, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah, this is a second career for me. I don't know okay. if you know, I was in corporate training and organizational development and okay. leadership. And my husband and I, we were just like, let's have a baby and let's do something different. And we didn't know what it was. So we ended up flipping a coin. And we said, if it landed on heads, we're going to move to Washington. If it lands on tails, we're going to go to South Carolina. So I was like two glasses where, of wine in. Where were you? We were in right here in California. I know I'm kind of back to my roots. <laughs> That's interesting. Southern California though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're in Southern California mm -hmm. and just decided flip a coin. Let's move someplace different. And that took us to Washington state. And I wanted to do something that would give me goosebumps. And I loved wine. So oh, wow. I thought, you know what? Let's get into making wine, growing wine grapes. So it was moving to Washington state. It it wasn't like we're going to go there and make wine. It was go there and, and figure out what, but you loved wine already. You were so already into really, wine. It really was we wanted to raise our kid near grandparents. So okay. that's why it was okay. South right. Carolina right. where I'm from or Washington State where my husband's from. But coin landed on heads, which took us to Washington. Cool. And then I was just like, if we're going to move, let's, let's do something that gives us goosebumps. Let's do something different. So, yeah, we love wine. And, you know, both of us have ag backgrounds, too. Right. And so we wanted to grow wine grapes. What's your ad background? Yeah, talk a little yeah. bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. so my husband's family, um, they have a over a 100-year-old wheat ranch in the Palouse over in a little town called Colfax. And my family, we grew row crops. In South Carolina, you can grow a lot of, I mean, okra, tomatoes, butter beans. I mean, you Rich name it. soils and yeah. rain every other day. <laughs> the yeah. best like rice growing in the world like rice. like the reason rice is a thing with south carolina yeah i mean you know so like it's like people yeah i mean south carolina rice that's why slaves were imported from west africa because right they knew how to make rice yeah. mm -hmm. right you know, yeah and a lot of other stuff that's what soul food but i say yeah and yeah. so like i mean that whole thing like you know yeah. like i mean you think about like we're here on the west coast we're in california and so many crops here, but like the local produce down there. Um, so you must have, did your, did, so did your family, like, so they had, did they have their own land, their own farm or? We did, you know, interesting. So my family, when I think about my grandmothers, like all they knew was working on farms mm -hmm. all, all their lives. Yeah. Um, didn't even finish school. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing for my mom. So um, we owned a little bit of land, but we worked on a whole lot more of it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you you want to do something that gave you goosebumps. Oh, yeah. Um, how did you learn how to make wine? <laughs> 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 right, goosebumps entirely fear-induced in this know, case. I know. I, I mean, it's that thing I always say. So you quit your perfectly good job right. exactly. to get into the wine business. Okay, let me tell you. When you're drinking wine, you think you could do anything, right? Let me tell you, after this podcast, when these bottles are half empty, all of us are going to be thinking right. we can go do something. I, I could be we a pilot, be, right? We could I be could podcasters. Do, right? <laughs> 
Well, Barb so, could probably be a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Barb, let's do this. You know, so for us, I mean, I started WSET, and so for me, that gave me the opportunity to learn about wines of the world and different winemaking styles. And my husband, he went through the two-year analogy cert program through WSU. And so, um, and then out of nowhere, Charlie Hoppus, who owns Fidelitas, was like, you kids look like you are confused. Let me take you under my wing <laughs> and, and tell you what, you know, just kind of give you some guidance. And so um, he allowed us to work out of his facility for um, a few years before we um, built our own facility. Cool. And so he was just, I mean, gosh, helping us to really identify our style, teaching us to never cut corners. It was just, he was just a godsend to us. Can you tell me about the vineyard? Our vineyard? Yes. Yeah, so, so we have our small yeah. estate vineyard um, on Red Mountain. So okay. ours is about two acres. Okay. But we do a lot of sourcing fruit. So one of our um, growers is Shaw Vineyards. And they own, they're the largest landowners on Red Mountain. But the cool thing about that is, although Red Mountain is so tiny, it is so diverse. I mean, for us, like we, we can make four cabs in a vintage from four different vineyards on Red Mountain. And that's what I love as being a true expression of Red Mountain. And so although we love our estate vineyard, we actually acquired another 15 acres just right adjacent to our property that we'll be planting. But I don't know how much you guys know about Washington State, but water isn't something that they just hand out water right to. Right. So <laughs> as soon as we get that kind of underway, we'll be ready to plant that the rest of that acreage for 90% um, of our um, portfolio be estate. So, well, we talk about Red Mountain a little bit because, um, you know, I, I was in – Walla Walla over the summer and that was my first experience and we didn't make it to the Red Mountain side we went to a bunch of other places um but you know people talked about it all the time I know that uh the uh, Valdemar am I saying that right mm -hmm. uh they get some they source some fruit up there may have some vineyards up there and it seems like a force majeure the force walls. majeure but it, and it's like the elevation though even at on red mountain if you're lower your wines are totally different than what you can grow than when you're higher up on the on the mountain right yeah and it, the thing about red mountain too i mean we talk about elevation i mean gosh that mountain is like i don't know 1400 feet not even 1400 foot you right. know elevation uh -huh. so we're not talking about like a, a huge mountain or anything like that what i think is really important about red mountain is that we're on the southwest facing slope and so there you get an, an amazing directional aspect to the sun. Um, we're typically the warmest growing region in the entire state of Washington, getting about six inches of rain. So, I mean, if you're, if you're a farmer and you're farming wine grapes, you know how important it is to control your water because we want robust fruit versus like watered down fruit, right? And we have these different soil types. This a lot of wine is robust. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it's robust. It's, it's, it's about to like um, make love to your palate. Let's just, let's just say that. She is like, this one. <laughs> goosebumps yes. making love yes. to your palate. Yes. This is one of the caps we make. And, and although, so the thing about in Washington, I, I will say Washington is known for a lot of amazing varieties. We grow over 70. Um, with Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot being the two most widely grown. Um, and on Red Mountain, it is planted mostly to Cabernet Sauvignon. But there are a lot of other really dope varieties um, grown there. I personally love, love working with Cab. Um, we work with three clones of Cab. Um, we source from five vineyards on the mountain with Cabernet Sauvignon. This one that I'm sharing with you is from Obelesco. And um, that vineyard's just, God, I keep using the word dope. Do you guys even, do you guys ever use the word dope? Uh, I, I, hella. Is it like, started, is it like <laughs> overrated or something? Cause nah, I just like, no, no, I it. mean, what? Dope is dope. Dope is dope. Okay. Can I <laughs> dope is back. Do right? dip, 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 dope. I never knew dope went away. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
You know, I still say fresh from time to time. That shit's okay, fresh. Okay, that's fresh. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay. But dope is, I remember dope because it was like early 80s. I, I grew up, I remember when dope kind of hit. Uh, and I don't know how it went from dope like heroin to being dope. But when dope went from being bad, bad to good. Bad well, to good. probably when not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good, like Michael Jackson. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Super bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, you can say dope all you want. Dope. I love dope because it's dope. But, but. <laughs> the, the, our powers combined when the black wine guy experience and the winemakers podcast get together yeah. just the, I mean, the chaos the, it's dope into it, MJ, but it's on brand yeah. oh it's on brand i mean you know i you know you've probably seen you know you know it's dope a shift it's in this my, cabernet uh, this cabernet is dope yeah it's dope. It, uh, it, um, the color is amazing um, so that's the thing about Red Mountain um, wines, though, that the skins are pretty thick. And so we do just pretty minimal extraction. Yeah. I mean, we don't do an extended maceration. We just don't have to to get flavor and color. So I mean, that wine is just layers upon layers. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's real bright, fresh fruit, and then it just sits on your palate, and it just... Just continues to sit there, man. With some food, she said I was gonna make love to your palate. That's what I well, said. And, and you know what, what I love I about it? It's like it's like a Barry. Bo- don't don't don't. She did some Barry White music when you open the bottle. Doom 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 doom. Come on, Barry. Barry, come on. In the same way that like you could pour a rock Syrah in a glass, any producer, and I'd be like, that's rock Syrah. I'm, you know, I don't know enough about Red Mountain Cabernet. I had I've had a couple when I was down there, and and then tasting this. um you got it's it's obviously not Sonoma Napa. It's it's this it's red, red mountain red. thing and, and um and I love that so much that it's like it's not trying to be anything else and gets to be really good at what it's doing because this this one is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um and it just is so signature of what I'm starting to know as as Red Mountain. It's cool. And like you said, I went to Walla Walla for the first time in November. Walla Walla is dope. It yeah. is dope. It's Walla cool. Walla Walla. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get it's into it? It's actually not cool. It's hot. It's hot. I mean. <laughs> uh, hot poop. <laughs> Did you get into hot poop? Did you get into hot poop when you were there? No, man. Oh man, hot poop is this like if you you know what I'm talking about? It's this record store. Oh yeah. Right on like you know. <laughs> And, and the guy is. Uh, I was like, "You curse! I'm about to say hot shit." It's no. <laughs> What's great is I, I got a shirt from there, and Althea all the time is like, "Oh, Dad, are you wearing your hot poop shirt today?" And I'm just like, "Yes, yes, I am, dear." Uh, <laughs> no, but this guy's like borderline hoarder. Okay, the store is packed to the gills, all kinds of records, instruments, posters. And, and it's just like, it's a cavern. And on top of that, um, he had really good air conditioning. Mm. So when I was there in July, I spent a lot of time and um, probably a considerable amount of money. My bag was a lot heavier coming home. Yes. That, that flight from Walla Walla to, to Seattle, I think the records on there was holding us back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how many vintages are you in now? How many tell me wines? Uh... 2011 was our first vintage. We will be bottling our 2021s in four months. So talk about the 10-year progression of like, what were you doing 10 years ago? And as far as wines you were making, what you started with, what you're bottling this year and kind of like what you're, you know, what you're thinking about it. Yeah. You know what? So we, we made a commitment early on. We were just like, we just want to stick to something, like find something, get really good at it and stick to that. And I think we've, we've done a fairly good job of it. We decided to do uh, Bordeaux varieties um, just from living in 
uh, when we were in Southern California, that was just kind of what we gravitated towards. And um, there's so many other winemakers that do amazing jobs with other things. So we just buy their wines, but we stick with Bordeaux. But we started with 650 cases. Okay. We're at 3,500 now. But I will tell you. That's way more pallets. Right, yeah. right? It, it is. Oh, yeah. well, when in you 20... see that in front of you, it's like, <laughs> it's like oh, my God, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> in 2014, um, we ran out of money. Because, I, I mean, making wine, it, it, there's a runway. It's not like you can't. <laughs> Never heard of that. Somebody ever. lost money in the wine business? Right. It's not lost. You know exactly where it right, is. Exactly right. It's in a right, warehouse. Right, right, right. It's in a right. winery. Losses, uh, yeah, it's yeah, in yeah. some barrels. Right. So Some would say squandered. Right. <laughs> I know where it is. Years. It's not lost. Yeah. We paid we for two years, and so we age our wines for about two years. Yeah. So we paid for two years, and we open up and, you know, open up at, right at the end of the tourist season. And so I'm just like, well, all the money we spent is not coming back in. And so now it's time to put contracts in for 2014. And we were just like, we don't have any money. And so we made um, about 200 cases of wine for the 2014 vintage. And um, that really was a wake-up call on, you know, you can just love making wine, but you also have to know how to sell that wine, even if it's high-quality premium wines. Yeah. yeah. And especially if people are saying, hey, do you want some of this? And if you love making wine, you're like, yeah, I'll take a little of that. Oh, you got some grapes? Like the growers are all like, we got a sucker. Oh, you're billing me for these? I got a I got a sucker. Go go hit up the freshettes. They're new in town. They they tell them they want to experiment with also different. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yep. Right. Right. So um, that's a whole different set of goosebumps, though. I know. Not in a good way. No, not a good goosebumps. No, but we we are having um, we're having a lot of fun. We introduced um, a new label to our portfolio called Sachet, and that happened because um, I went to an event called Celebration of Black Women in Wine. Was so inspired because I had never seen a black female winemaker, and um, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like this is totally dope." Um, I'm going to step my There's game that up. There's that word again. So I know I probably fitting. counted. I would probably use it at least three more times before we finish this. Uh, <laughs> it sounds fine. It's dope. You can do it too. Bart, Bart you're dope. Do Bart, you're dope. Do it. Okay. <laughs> Dane would not let you get away with it. Yeah, Dane would be like, yeah. what the hell are you talking about? He's a dope, not a dummy. That's what I used to say about my dog. I love it. Bart, you are dope. You're dope. Yeah, so I just wanted to set my game up and, you know, created this label. So making a Syrah under that one and a Rosé. Okay. It's fun. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, And, like, what are you hoping to take away from this conference? So I love the Good marketing question. aspect of it. So the crazy thing Every is that I know one of the things that I do for for Shets is the social media aspect. Not all digital media, but media, but specifically social media. So short form video. First off, I'm not trying to do the podcast. I mean, you guys are already pros, and thank you so much for elevating wine and telling the stories. Thank you, of folks in wine. So, almost pros. oh, you yeah. guys, you guys are dope. Allegedly, let me tell Allegedly. you, you're I'll dope. take the dopeness. Oh but, yeah, aren't right? But, Hashtag uh, y'all dope. <laughs> y'all dope. <laughs> so I really want to become. You know, I'm I'm in it, like in almost every part of our business. I'm in the vineyard. I'm in production. I'm in my tasting room. I'm working side by side with my team. I don't think I capture that enough. I get so much in the process of it that I don't pull my camera out and capture those things. And so totally. I really want to be better about that. And I'm already getting tools from 
um, the workshop I was in this morning that can help me with that. Awesome. Really cool. Really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you when you come to New York, we could sit down and do a whole big long podcast. I'm Full sure show, you, taste the they wine. would come. You can go to Sierra Sonoma. I'm sure yeah, these guys would have you on for. Um, Tell us how to um, find you on the, um, out there in the world. You know, website. How they can be a part of what you're doing, Sasha? Yeah, how they can be a part of, yeah, of your dopeness, queen? queen. You, you have I a mean, tasting tasting this. room. It's I know. So is there a that is sexy? Yeah, right. That is. Can you that's believe sexy. an artist who taught himself to paint did that for me? Doesn't everybody teach themselves to paint? Well, right. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. I well, I did not. <laughs> so and <laughs> nobody else taught I mean, me, either. me either. I guess I'm not that. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I mean, we all come on, man. Finger paints. That's why. I mean, my dad was a painting contractor, so I painted houses. Right, you know how to paint. <laughs> wow, straight lines, up and down. Song. Last song. That's too many. That's two Robert Cayman references. This show. Oh no more. my gosh. Right. Oh um, so yeah, please tell everybody oh, where they can find you. Frichette Winery on all of our platforms, and that's F R I C H E T T E. It looks like Fricchetti, but it is Frichette Winery because it's French and not Italian. That's right. right. Look at you, you are dope. <laughs> I, I play dope on a podcast. <laughs> no, I play a dope on a podcast. <laughs> it's not so much that he's dope, but he stayed at a Holiday Inn Express <laughs> last night. <laughs> I'm hoping to stay. At, I'm, so, I'm hoping to stay at a Hilton tonight. We'll see how that works. <laughs> You better find you some dope friends. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Shay. Really fun. appreciate you. you. Is there a tasting room? Oh, yeah. If you're up in, oh, yeah. if you're up in Washington, how see? do you come see? Proprietor. So, Good call, uh, proprietor. No, yeah. So here's the crazy thing. I live on property. My tasting room is on property. My winery is on property. My vineyard is there. Everything is there. So when you come visit Frechette, you see all you see the whole thing. of Frechette. Sometimes you just like walk as far away as you can just to like get some distance. I go get hide in the vineyard. You're like, I'm going to drive to work <laughs> the long way today. Okay. You know, well, go isn't through. that what it's about? Like just getting lost in the vineyard? So, totally. Yeah, when I need to get away, I, that's where I, I go. So go visit, go visit Red Mountain. Check oh, it do out. do it. Oh, yeah. Washington Wine. It's the real deal. Do it. it Washington Wine is... I was gonna say it's dope. It's dope. <laughs> I, love I would have I would have never thought of that. <laughs> How do you come up with these things? We need a dope jar. So <laughs> I have a dope jar. Oh wait, no. Wait, wait. <laughs> I brought a couple. Oh, wait, we need a dope jar. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> Got some dope zip plug bags too. <laughs> <laughs> Donated to what? Free the grapes. Free the grapes. Yes. Free the grapes. Yes. Org. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Brought it back. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, it was a pleasure. You guys are so much yeah. fun. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Cheers. It's our dope. If you haven't. We're recording that. We're here with. I have no idea what your name is anymore. Shanna. 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 Shanna Bull. Or online Sheree Ray, which Sheree is. Ray. How a lot which of is. People. Yeah, oh. no, that was totally That's like. Sheree, Sheree Ray. Ray. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was, how did you come up with Sheree Ray? I did not. Um, it was an inside joke at a marketing agency back in 2007. Um, I worked at a marketing agency in Hillsburg, and Twitter became a thing, and I thought it was stupid. I think it's you're stupid now. You're, you're still right. <laughs> I've, I've come back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but at the time, um, my nickname at my marketing agency was Sheree Ray because my maiden name was Ray. So oh, okay. Shanna Ray. Oh. Sheree Ray. I thought I was, I was like, I was a big fan of the Martin show and I, I ripped off Shanae. Yeah. That's what I was hoping. That's, I've gotten that, that that's, before. That's, that's where I. That's what I wanted to hear. But, you know. No, just Because uh, <laughs> that would have been dope. Nope. <laughs> 
not that dope. <laughs> Even in my 20s, not that dope. Um, no, but um, a lot of people see my name online and mm. they, they don't have any idea how to say Shanna. So my business cards actually have little pictures of bananas on it. There you go. Yeah. Shanna Banana. Shanna Banana. Banana. Fifi Banana. I freaking hate saying it. Shiray Ray. Shiray Ray. Shibulbul sounds really dumb. I wasn't going to change it. That's my brand. And so, yeah. So, So we first met through social media. And then we actually physically met at the Taste of Sonoma. I was pouring. Okay. And your husband, Jeff, came by, tasted some wine. Got some beer koozies, I think. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a beer guy, if I remember right. We are both beer people. Yeah. <laughs> beer people. Uh, you yeah. know what? In the wine industry, you got to be a beer person, yeah, I think. Sure. Um, but yeah, Taste of Sonoma was my favorite event. Um, I would like make sure to go every single year because I either would work it um, or... Um, sneak in or um get media passes <laughs> but the media passes i i write for press democrats cinema magazine and the north bay business journal and are you still doing some stuff with that i do i have a monthly column um in the north bay business journal um talking about social media digital marketing and the hospitality industry okay so mm -hmm. my latest one is coming out in a few weeks and it's all about ai it's it's kind of scary you mean let the AI create your content. For exactly. You. Yeah. I, you know, I've been a writer for my entire life. I have children's books. I write, um, you know, in my head all the time. Um, but AI has been really exciting to kind of see what can happen. And I think instead of like saying, no, I don't want to do anything with AI or artificial intelligence or chat GPT. Um, the people that embrace it are going to be the ones that. Can oh yeah, that's the future. Um, and I think for people like yourself, uh, who are writers, um, it cures writer's block, and it's learning how to use the tool. It gives you prompts. You can like, give me fifty email headlines, and it'll spit out fifty email headlines. And then you, as a writer, a wordsmith, you go wordsmith it. So I think it's going to be an incredible shortcut. Um, I think I might use it tonight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some shit to do. Yeah. Um, you it know, is honestly maybe, maybe it's... create uh, create a keynote on. Why podcasting is good for the wine business. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to edit First gig already replaced myself. <laughs> exactly. Say it in your uh, your tone. Um, it, you know, take some um, content that you have on the internet already, and it can it can um, detect your tone. Or, you know, try Gary Vaynerchuk, something like that. See what the his tone, uh, no. what that spits out. I mean, it doesn't, it's, doesn't allow um, curse words, so... Sorry. So that's where I. So that's where my wordsmith. Right. That's when you have to. Little, <laughs> yeah. Add a little. That's where the human touch. Yeah. That yeah. Comes human in. human yeah, intelligence. Let's make this real, people. So, I mean, so what are you? Um, what are you here? What excites you about this that we're at today? And um, what are you looking for to take home with you? Um, you know what? Uh, the wine industry has always been about connections for me. Yes, I do work in the wine industry, and I've done social media for countless wineries, but. Um, First and foremost, it's about seeing people that I haven't seen in three years yeah. mm. or more. Um, uh, you know, right before the pandemic, I actually moved to Concord from Santa Rosa right. to Rinse. be closer to my husband's work when now he's in, in my backyard. So literally, I'm just here to hang out with friends. Cool. 
<laughs> I unlearned some and, things. And what do you, what do you, so you're a writer, but you also, aren't you a social media strategist? I am. Um, I have my own digital marketing agency that I've been consulting with people for years, um, right before the pandemic and a little bit during the pandemic, I was teaching classes on how to, um, you know, connect with people and post pictures on Instagram. Um, now it's all about video though. And I haven't fully grasped video because it is, it's even quicker than, you know, posting a picture. It's, you have to do a lot more stuff with it. And I, I'm kind of learning about that from the, the youngins in the, the short form video um, session that was just about an hour ago. Um, so pay no attention to that woman in the corner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Get get a producer immediately. Ignore the producer. Exactly. <laughs> Checks out. Exactly. It's on brand. <laughs> um. So <laughs> it's too much fun. I'm not even. I'm. I'm right. We're not I'm, even wait, drinking. We're not, not even drinking. I'm pouring it out. I'm you need some wine. You have a rosé. Or yeah, so I, no, I have a dirty glass. Uh, I, in my um, <laughs> no, no, it's rosé. It's rosé. This is oh, uh, like this is twenty one auto tent. Auto tent. This oh. is um, in in the always be self promoting. Yes, yeah. ceaselessly self promoting. Okay, well, um, I want to take a picture. Twenty one auto tent rosé, which uh, is getting released on Saturday, which is Combi's birthday. Oh. Yeah. Very exciting. So shout out. Yeah, is, that, is that a clean glass? Yeah, or you, you can dump whatever. Yeah, you I can um, dump. I, I have that ability. Ask that question. Right there. <laughs> I, I lost oh, it. What question we got? There's, what do we got? There's there? like electrical strips in the middle okay, of the. Here. This is why they don't let us have nice stuff. Nah, man. <laughs> this is why you guys are the only ones drinking at this conference. Yeah, fair, it's a wine conference and no one's drinking. That's no, just because we like to drink. Yeah. Huh. No, I I, I am yeah. gonna have a happy hour at four thirty across the street at the uh, taco place. Oh, sweet. Taco place happy hour. <laughs> yeah. Those are, Four of my favorite words. <laughs> <laughs> so you you talked about um, you've talked about like you started as a blogger like like uh, like your own like you're kind of behind the scenes but you do stuff yourself that's pretty dope right like you have a little following there a little cult following if you will uh, sure um, it, it's I'm a big fish in a little pond I think in in Sonoma County I'm known that's about it. Um, but it's a good pond. <laughs> it's, it's it actually is pond. quite literally a pond. It is literally right a delicious. <laughs> No, but um, you know, back in like 2008, 2009, um, I lived in Hillsburg. I was writing about events that I was going to, and they just happened to be uh, wine places. And so then I got started getting invited to more, and someone called me a wine blogger, and I was like, sure. Wait, should I blog about wine? Okay, I'm going to start blogging about wine. And um, I always talked about my experiences. My my blog was never about the terroir or the like tasting notes of wine or anything like that. I liked the experience of meeting people and hanging out with people. Fist bump. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. Wait. Because <laughs> that's like, that's kind of like my format. Like, I'm not, <clears throat> I tell people when I interview them, <clears throat> Ross, <clears throat> um, if it's in the text sheets, we don't want to hear it. Like people can go to your website and look at the text sheets. Yes. Right. So it's 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 like getting to know story. You guys do a good job of intermixing the two, uh, of of getting like the, the stories about the terroir and then also the backstory. But like I just like to drink and talk to people. So 
that's it for me. You know, um, and you know, experiencing new things. Yeah. Um, in the wine industry, like that's why Taste of Sonoma was my favorite. I didn't even like drinking. I just wanted to eat. Right. So <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> I never got to eat at that because I was always pouring wine. Yeah. No, I, I like was le- I was the first in line. I was like, okay, mac and cheese balls. Um, that was in in the um, Gloria and Ferrer. Then, yeah, yeah, and then anything with pork belly. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and it's what, August, September. Real reasons like we're tomatoes. in the wine business. <laughs> <laughs> Bubbling to the surface. Mac yeah. and cheese balls and pork, pork belly. belly. <laughs> right. How's the rosé? Mac and cheese balls yeah, and pork <laughs> belly. <laughs> and the sparkling wine that went along with it. I think mac and cheese and sparkling wine is one of my favorite pairings. High low. Salty with sparkling wine. And rich because it cuts through the, the cheese. Yeah, that, you know, it needs um, it. It needs it, yeah, for sure. But it's all about the, the, the high-low uh, pairings of the thing right now, right? You're like sparkling wine and Lay's potato chip kinds of things, mac and cheese and, yeah. and wine, you know. Yeah. KFC could, and could, champagne. KFC and Krug. KFC and Krug. Yeah, I think that's probably the ultimate uh, yeah. opposite ends of the high-low. Totally, yeah, well, and it thinking, sounds freaking delicious because also – KFC and Kruger delicious, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But do what things if I put them together? <laughs> hmm. What happens here? I was working for Iron Horse Vineyards for about great eight sparkling years. wines. I mean, yeah. it was it, yeah. they are amazing. Yeah, and I had to say goodbye to them at the beginning of the pandemic um, because of other reasons. Um, <laughs> cancer um and um yeah. i laugh about that no, and you were, it's gone and i wouldn't you were, be laughing you were totally public about all of Very that too and embarrassingly you know, public and and through the pandemic when um you know health was on everybody's mind mm-hmm. and the only thing that we were doing was interacting in social and digital <laughs> media um so that was you know yeah i was, going was probably the only way treatment. you could like have wow. an outlet for that uh, and uh you know bedridden and not working for a few months but um you shout out the book that you wrote that you co-authored i didn't write that. it my uh my son uh wrote a book it's called randall the blue spider goes surfing and while i was bedridden um i had nothing else to do so i found a publisher and we published a children's book wow and i had a friend uh draw the adorable pictures and yeah we have three children's books out out, three children's book books out now and i always say that the um the target audience is the same moms they like to drink wine. They like to read children's books, or they like to keep their children uh, quiet. They have to read. Right. They have to <laughs> like keep their children quiet. <laughs> and then this helps with both. Yeah. <laughs> or at least helps you not hear. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's what I've been. I mean, to. if we manage to find like a grain of really interesting, though, uh, that is, you know, the moms are making. The wine buying decisions. They're well, making we're the making children's decisions, right? Are buying decisions in the home. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, I mean, it's they've always been the ones yeah, going right. grocery shopping. Yep. Um, you know, there is a transition right now. Um, the dads are helping more than any other uh, previous generation. And I'm very happy about that, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when my husband and our son was home. And we, we did uh, 50, 60, 40% of the work. Oh, that's probably generous. <laughs> no, uh, we, yeah. 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 He was doing really good. It's all right. He's I say that as somebody who like, aspires to that 40%. That first you know? week he came in, he was strong. <laughs> right. But you and know then, what? By week During 19, day, yeah. he, did, he did 100% no, of the work. So no. I will never complain about that again. No. 
and tonight while I'm doing happy hour, he's going to be um, hanging out with the, the small child at home. Awesome. I mean, I do bring the kid to the happy hour and wineries. So for whatever reason, I know a lot of industry people listen to my podcast and definitely being a winemaker's pod. Like if you want to give them like a tip. Or shout out your or shout out your and or shout out your services. Yeah, please. Um, yeah. You know right? what? Ceaselessly. I'm not doing. I'm gonna start teaching classes again, but right now I'm not doing much of anything other okay. than writing about um, different um, brands. So I'll be reaching out to everybody to get quotes. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Sherere on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> I do still. I I started tweeting again. I stopped tweeting for like the last. What, three months mm -hmm. and because of this conference i started tweeting again i thought it was uh fitting because t wine twitter got me into tweeting in the first place so why not you know say f to the new owner of uh twitter i'm trying to be nice yeah. uh, <laughs> nah, he is you don't tool. have to be he's, um and he is not um, i didn't want to be on he's twitter undo anymore undo he's like that south african at the end of uh, lethal weapon 2 <laughs> Like like that South African guy. Yeah, you know, uh, no, no. <laughs> diplomatic I'm immunity. I'm frustrated at social media right now. I will be honest, but okay. the people are you guys are what keeps me like grounded and remembering that it's about the connections and social media is completely about um, who you connect with and who you build relationships with. Because ten years later, you're going to come back on their random podcast and. Yeah, drink wine. Yeah. Sweet, <laughs> random. Well, thank you. Very ah, much. sorry. <laughs> no, thanks to Ray. Ray, it's on. It's on point. <laughs> Clearly. Should we just keep rolling? Keep rolling to the. Don't stop. Here, I'll just uh, jump out of the chair. Just jump out of a moving car. Just jump out of a moving car. No, we uh, we producer said cut. Producer says cut. Okay, we're back. At the DTC Wine Symposium with uh, two great guests, Barbara Gorder, who is the reason that MJ and I are here, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and the reason actually yes. all of us are here. Oh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. reason well, this is happening, um, you are the keynote chair for the symposium. You work with Free the Grapes also, but you're undisclosed location, not just where you are, but what you do. And then um, returning, the great, uh, we did a... a Zoom podcast during the deep pandemic. Uh, Jason Haas, Tablas Creek, nice to have you in front of a real microphone in person. And, and, yeah. and nice to see that you made it out of San Luis Obispo County. Yeah, that there was a way out. It was close, and I water yeah. up to my knees, but uh, no, we're good. It's yeah. all good. Right on. Well, um, so you guys... There's a lot of things we could talk to Jason about. We could do several many I know. hour shows. I mean, like, yeah. Um, I mean, let's. I but mean, should we? We're tr not here for that. We don't. We can't talk about. Right. We his have a producer now. The producers and, on. And, you know, and, and, and the <laughs> Bocastel and you know the right. Rones and but uh, Jason. Good. Also, I did a Zoomy thing with you. Yeah. Um, good to meet you, IRL. As Real the life. Kids say. Um, and um, what are you here at the conference specifically to speak about? So I was invited by Barbara to um, to speak on a, a small panel. It's just the two of us, but it's a panel um, on alternative packaging. Um, and we, at Tablas Creek, we launched a box wine version of our Patalanda Tablas last year um, as a part of our ongoing effort to try to reduce our carbon footprint. Um, and 
it turned out to be a much bigger thing, both in terms of the attention it got and in terms of the success that it was than we were ever expecting. So I think it sort of opened our eyes to what the potentials are for non-glass bottle packages. Um, and I think given the scale of the issue that it is, the fact that the package accounts for roughly half the carbon footprint, the glass bottle accounts for roughly half the carbon footprint <laughs> hurts of me because I love glass bottles. I, it hurts. I have my, I have my and climate I, and, and, sin and, and bottle. I'm team big yeah, punt heavy bottle too. Right. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I'm like we'll the worst. little by little. <laughs> Not gonna happen, I'm from uh, Jersey. <laughs> Not happening. Um, so but anyway, it's obviously bottles aren't going anywhere and nor should they, but I think in order for wine to kind of fit into a more sustainable future, we've got to be thinking about what are the things that it's essential to keep in bottle? Mm -hmm. How do we minimize the impact of the bottles that we do have to use? And what are alternatives for things that don't necessarily need that long-term aging cork multiple years in a cellar? So go ahead. Well, so Jason, uh, coming from uh, uh, my side, um, how did the cellar and how was the packaging part of that um, how like, did that work? Like on the bottling line. On and, the bottling yeah. line. Like, what were those? What bottling line? Right. It was the, well, the boarding I mean, line. That's what I mean. The bagging line. The bagging line. The bagging line. You know, so, so the, the, the bag and box line. So, that's one of the big hurdles, I think, that limits small to medium sized wineries like us from jumping in on this in a bigger way is that there's not the infrastructure that there is for bottling. Right. So, we don't have our own bottling line either. We hire a mobile bottler, Just they like, come yeah. in and we bottle mm. whatever five weeks a year. Right. There's no mobile box line that you can hire. So, we had right. to rent a, we actually bought MJ's it mobile we, box line. Right, hey, hey, business, business opportunity. opportunity. Uh, totally. All of a sudden, you're not the uh, heavy bottle big punt guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, at home I am, <laughs> but out front, <laughs> it's like, like it's like evil. Like, he secretly drinks wine in two pound bottles, but he's out here pushing the box wide on the market. Checks out. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, and as long and dovetailing on Bart's question is like, how long? Like, what was like the decision making process? Do because like this is like a this was a, bold, a pretty bold decision. Yeah. So it all came about from oh, we we so let me step back. We've been doing wine in keg in reusable stainless steel kegs through free flow, through their operations up, up in Napa um, since 2012. So we're certainly open to alternative packaging and, and trying to reduce the amount of waste. And that's all in the wholesale market. That's all wholesale. Right. Um, but I did a carbon footprint self-audit um, about a year and a half ago. Um, and using the California Sustainable Wine Growing Alliance's study and metrics that they came up with about a decade ago. And it really drove home to me how hard it was to make a meaningful improvement in the overall carbon footprint without addressing the glass bottle as a package. And we'd moved to lightweight bottles. We did that a decade ago. But still, um, that's the biggest single source of, of, uh, of emissions that we have. So I posted the results of this self-audit in a bunch of places. I wrote a blog about it and posted it on our, on our Topless Creek social media and on my personal social media. And it was a friend who commented like, hey, you included this graph that shows how much better a bag and box, a three liter bag and box is than any bottled option. And yet you aren't really talking about it as an option for Topless Creek. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking about that. It's like, like fair yeah. point. Like we aren't because there's this stigma of like grocery store bottom shelf. Yeah. Um, in, Cooking wine. Yeah, right. maybe. Right. Um, and also people say plastic bag. Right. Hold on. I'll get to that. But thank uh, you. I that's that's an important to, thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important thing. Um, 
but the so we felt like maybe we were given the other environmental efforts that we make and the reputation that we have maybe we weren't a terrible winery to try to take a crack at this stigma um and so talked it over with our team everybody was totally on board um we decided to to do an initial little bit of our Patalano Tablas Rosé last February. We we started with 350 boxes, and I was like, if if you'd asked me to put an amount of time on it, I was I would have said that I thought we maybe would sell out in a month, and that was going to be a success. I thought if it was really great, we would sell out in a week. Um, we announced it and sold out in four hours. <laughs> so like I felt like we were really onto something, um, and we did it again with the Patalano. Blanc in March of last, sorry, in May of last year, and then the Petalin Red in August, and those both sold well also, and it got picked up in a lot of um, national wine publications, and not even just wine publications, as as being, hey, this is the potential for the for at least a part of the future. Right. So that was how we ended up doing it. It was kind of it, it felt consistent with the other efforts that we're making in the environmental space. Um, we didn't try to sell it in wholesale; it was just direct to consumer because we wanted to be able to message clearly what this was about. And because we were selling, we were pricing this box at 95 bucks. It's not like, I mean, the most expensive box on the shelf at our local Albertsons is like 32. Right. So we, I didn't want it to sit on a shelf someplace and gather dust. I wanted it to go to place, to go to people who were excited to try it. Maybe who've never really had a box wine before. I mean, the rest is like $95 for some box wine. Like you, you couldn't put that on a shelf in a supermarket. Yeah, I think I disagree. You absolutely could. And 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 I think people are ready to receive that message. I don't know. I've done a lot of retail. It's well by volume. I mean I mean by volume it's 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 a hand sell though, Barb. That's a hand sell of a it's a Barb that if I know one thing it's retail. Like even at Whole Foods, like you have to hand sell good shit because people just go for the floor stack. They go for the floor stack. They go when people usually go to. In my experience, you've done this a lot longer than I have in marketing, so I'm not. But my experience selling wine on the floor, um, that would be a hand sell at ninety five dollars. I think younger consumers are ready for it. I think I think that they are they are ready and more receptive to both organic messaging, alternative packaging messaging, the fact that you have people like you know Asimov. Um, Jancy's Robinson, all writing about this right now to bring attention to this. I mean, I don't think that it's as too much of a stretch because Gen Z and younger millennials, they care about this. And Jason, talk about some of the feedback you've gotten from your wine club. I mean, I mean that shit sold out. I mean, that, that's that, that's a resounding. I mean, that, that right there, the four hours. That, right there. Yeah, that's it right there. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I sort of fall halfway in between the two of you. <laughs> Um, I know we've gotten... Thanks, Jason. I mean, that's me. Peacemaker. Um, no, but I mean, we've talked to our wholesalers. Um, there's several, not, well, not all of them, but there are several who reached out because of the press that this got mm -hmm. and basically said, when's there some of this for us? Mm -hmm. And so we've asked them, like, what do you think the market is for $95 box of wine? And half of them were like, oh, wait, it's $95? Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Um, the other half were like, well, let's talk about where we put this, who in whose hands we put this. So I agree it is basically a hand sell. I, I, I mean, I think that the places where it would do best would be independent retail where you've got yeah, retailers exactly. who are who are there. Who are going to tell the Tavis Creek story. Tell the Tavis story, but mostly tell the package story. Exactly. Um, and then um, restaurants that maybe want something good to pour by the, by glass, the glass, but don't have a keg system in place. Uh, so I, I think we're a couple of years away from being able to just have it sit on a grocery store shelf and have it move on its own. 
but I think I think we have pretty good evidence that people are more open to this kind of a package yeah. than and wholesalers ever are not thought. known for bravery. <laughs> True that, <laughs> and which is why we're at the DTC Wine Symposium. <laughs> but I mean, I, I have to say that I started down this path about eight years ago, and I was in a very famous, iconic Napa Valley place in a meeting with a with a very important person and i looked at that person and i said hey so have cryptic you, have you ever thought about some alternative packaging that might be interesting and they looked at me like i was an alien with three heads um and then i got some really great experience a couple of years ago in the can market with groove wines and um Guest at the pod. Yeah, yeah, actually, I did a live with him. Bar put me up, and yeah. I, I was like, I was like, dude, and this, I, I, I didn't want to like your wine. Cans, it's are, in a can. You know, cans are another way to go. Boxed wine. It's bigger in Europe. They have good wines in boxes in yeah. Europe. No, I know that what and, we had and, at Whole Foods was good Monastrell and and Vermentino from Spain. Great box wines, old vine. Why can't we do this? If we, I mean, there is possibility, and so. I'm in the business of finding the very best people, which is why I found you, MJ, and you, Sam, and you, Bart, and you, Jason. Clearly not all wins. But, <laughs> but I think there is, a message. there is a message here, and I think that the most important thing that Jason and I have to say on the stage tomorrow is this is not instead of, this is in addition, in addition to. to. Got it, yeah. And I think that people that care about the environment, I think that you, know, you want to get millennials and you want to get Gen Z, you want to get them involved in wine, get them what i'm drinking first well there you go and, and this then, is how and then and this is one oh, way to how. do how as well as you have marketing real estate on the side of boxes right. hello you have qr codes you have cans that are there's some amazing cans players out there. they're beautiful i mean it's like this is the way to get younger people to enjoy wine in the way that they want to not just someone saying this is it and this is how you do it i'm not gonna lie i'm sitting here daydreaming about stanley mass well, on saying, the side of a box you know of wine. what came to me like it hadn't thought I, it, what came to me was remember album covers like i hated cds because right. it was so small i remember the, the stanley mouse album cover was yeah. while you bought the album like people like you could cut out the they could create collages of these yeah. incredible There's artwork. There's a fantastic example of a Spanish wine producer who did like a puzzle that like put it together that was a bag. It's all about portability. And I think that we all need to be thinking about this because the wine business, and I love everybody in the wine business because they're eccentric crazies, but I'm gonna tell you that we have to, <laughs> I know, right? But the point is, is that we all have to be better to the planet. And how can we do that? And that's why we're here talking about this. And that's yeah. why Jason, who has, not only does he make great wine, but he also goes out, he's a board member for Free the Grapes. He's been an advocate for, um, you know, the industry. So I think that if we all work together to try things, to try screw cap, to stop putting foils, why do we need foil again? Help me understand that. Somebody, somebody to cut talk. yourself. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm the worst. I am like, I am so, I like, I feel like I'm so bad. I don't know. I'm like, I feel like I'm like India in this conversation. Where, you know, like how India doesn't want to have a carbon cap. I'm like, I love a fucking heavy foil. I love a big, right? I love a heavy bottle. Foilless since 2007. But, but you're right. But, but you know, foil is, it's, it's pointless. Right? And, and we should be using screw caps. The Australians figure that shit out because it's cork tank. You're going to, you're going to save so many balls, you know? But so, it's, it's, it's that ritual. It's right. but if there is an opportunity for us to bring some change yeah. into this business in a really positive way, that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Sweet. And I think the screw caps are actually a really good like potential model for people's acceptance of a lot of other packages. You think of 
what happened when you started seeing well, Plump Jack, top Australians Plum, yeah, Plum and, Jack and New Zealand was the first to do a screw cap in the states. I mean, Adam Adam Lee with his Clarice, yeah, uh, Clarice you know, they're all like they're ninety five dollar Pinot Noirs, all screw cap. Right, and it went it went from being like exotic to being a statement to yeah. being something that nobody even Just comments on. Right. Practical, right. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously there are there are wines where if you're going to be laying in a cellar for a decade, I mean, nobody's come up with something which will match a glass bottle. Right. There are other things that we should be doing. We should be figuring out a circular economy so that bottles can be washed and reused. Um, but what's the stats? Like 95% of all wines are drunk within 48 hours of when they're purchased. Like I think it's a, even like, I think it's the average, it's like eight hours from purchase to consumption or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I mean, four years because well, people don't drink like we drink. Right. <laughs> Sometimes they they, yeah. don't, they don't go to the grocery store every day. Exactly. <laughs> they do drink wine every day. But, but even if it was common knowledge that you could put a great box of Jason's wine in your refrigerator and you could safely have an amazing glass of wine, like one glass of wine for months, yeah. and, and, yeah. and it's delicious yeah. and it stays fresh. Yeah. I mean, I think people. I think that people will buy that, but that needs to be a more widely understood and, fact, right. which is why you need to market the. Yes, idea. and and when I'm coming, I met a guy in the in like '97, um, who was I hadn't just started. I maybe just started in wine, and uh, was at my law professor's party, and and he knew I worked in wine, and and he this guy was '97 said. Box wine, it is the best because the the mylar bag seals it, it keeps the air out. It actually is the best wine preservation system if you just want to have a glass or two a night. You know what I mean? So it makes sense. And I, I think that's the there's an angle there for the wholesale. But if you have a wine by the glass at a restaurant, I mean, I don't know if you, it hasn't happened maybe yet, but. Wouldn't you rather it's coming out of a box so you know that that glass is fre it, exactly. fresh every I, single I, time? I Even if you have that same one by the bottle in that same restaurant, have it by. That's the interesting thing that has started happening with the cans for us this year. Is there was a restaurant in New Jersey that didn't have didn't want to have a rosé by the glass or just you know the rosé by the glass in the wintertime is wasted. You know they pour one glass a week goes by then and they throw the bottle away. So they're doing buy the can rosé. You buy a can, that's your glass of wine. It's a little bit more. You feel like you get a deal and it's fresh every time, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a there was a startup fifteen plus years ago called the Twenty, and they were doing bagged wine. But what they did is they had um, nicely finished wood boxes or they also had like um, ammo boxes and they had like a Guinness types um, tap on it. And it was meant to sit on the back bar. It had a place for the marketing and um, it, it was a great idea, great delivery system. The problem was, is that a lot of places didn't want to give up the back bar space. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I think. The the example that we have having done keg wines for so long has been a really helpful one for this. Um, and I remember when we were first testing out the kegs, we got a keg back that had been taken off off of the tap system and sent back to us. I think it had been stashed under their under their bar for six months and then sent back to us because they just needed the keg deposit back. But um, <laughs> we were at that so whatever, wine directors change yeah, no, like people make anyway um but it came back to us and it had clearly been out at least six months mm. and it could have been as long as a year and a half mm -hmm. based on the vintage that it was and we were like well i'm sure it hasn't been refrigerated it hasn't really been taken care of we should see how the wine is 
So we tapped it and poured a glass and it was like we just opened a fresh bottle. Wow. Um, and for us, it was such a proof of concept that like so many of the wines that you order by the glass at restaurants are oxidized because mm -hmm. the wine's just sitting out yep. at restaurant temperature yep. for a couple of days. Yep. Um, and if there is a way around that, it's not just that you're being more environmentally sensitive. You're offering value yeah. to the, the customer and to the account that's pouring that because right. they're wasting less. Right. So you won't have the seven. What was the article recently about the seventeen dollar glass of wine, right? And you know, and, and the varieties of wine, right? right? How many different producers? So you can have small producers. You can have great people, not just the usual suspects, yeah. right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, we work with a, a restaurant called uh, Sixty Vines, which is a small restaurant chain. I think there's five or six locations, um, mostly in the southeast, and they have. 40 wines by the glass, all on tap. Right. Um, and they go through all kinds of cool exotic stuff because they don't need to go through six, eight glasses a day in order to make it viable. Um, so they can have a wider range of stuff. And it's super cool. Yeah. No, I think there's, cool. there's a lot of potential. And again, Stanley Mass on the side of my box of wine. See what got you thinking? Right, yeah. ninety-five dollars. That's the part that I like too. <laughs> <laughs> super cool. Yeah. yeah. I think that's about it. Thank you. Thanks, Jason, Jason and Barr. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, yes, it's been great. Have a great rest of your show. We'll, and... we'll get you again in real life. For yeah, a, a real long time. When you come oh, out to New true, York or something, I'll have to come visit you in Paso. You'd be welcome. You guys yeah. are both like fighting for his time. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was listening. Or, hey, there's or the wine that he's going to bring when <laughs> yeah. he gets or, there. Exactly, Because <laughs> we're missing that right now. Yes. No, no tablets on this table. Yeah, there's no. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. no, awesome. Thank you for doing this. Uh, thank you for for supporting Free the Grapes. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a great mission to be a part of. It, it helps all of us. Yep. Um, and and it's just a pleasure to be able to be here. Free the grapes. Free thank the grapes. you. Drink more Tablets Creek. <laughs> <laughs>
we haven't met. And so nice to meet you and, and welcome. Yeah. Well, it's nice to meet you too. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, man. So like, how did you, you're, how did you, obviously you do, uh, we talk about your wine club, you're, you do DTC, but how'd you get started in wine? What were you doing before you were in wine, Ross? Well, I, um, chose wine as my drug of choice in my mid twenties. So I'm not sure when I started in wine as, uh, <laughs> as, uh, a career, but, uh, I was a brand strategist in, in Silicon Valley. Okay. I started as a graphic designer and then Silicon Valley grew up around me and I sort of rode the, the rising tide of Silicon Valley. I became a brand That's strategist. So, so let's what, what, give us an era. Like so um, I worked uh, in the early days of HP, uh, Apple, uh, Activision, 3Com. That, that's the time. 3Com. Three, 3Com Park, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I worked with Bob Metcalf. I did the first logo for 3Com. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking 1980s, yeah. early yeah. 80s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When Apple was, you know, a building on the corner here and there throughout mm -hmm. Cupertino. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a little office in downtown Palo Alto, which was this still this sleepy kind of uh, college town right. adjacent to Stanford. Right. Totally. Hanging out at Ricky's Hyatt. <laughs> That's right. And so what were the wines that you kind of cut your teeth on? What were the things that, that made you kind of dive, want to dive deeper into wine? Well, that is a, a great question. I lived in Kenya for a few years, and uh, I met a young man uh, at the time who uh, moved to Palo Alto, and uh, he was from England, and he opened a restaurant in San Jose, and he invited me in those early days to taste some wines as he was opening up his restaurant, and I got introduced to William Selium, to uh, Calera Selleck, Calera Jensen, and I realized that Pinot Noir was like a path to God. And wow. uh, that <laughs> just knocked me out. And I had been in, I had been introduced. That's like Burt Williams. Williams. Right. That's like, right. that's that's like legit yeah. William Selleck. <laughs> So uh, I had been introduced in Kenya because Kenya was a British colony. And so there was a, a lot of French wines there. So I'd been introduced mm. to Burgundy and uh, I couldn't afford it. But I had some friends who were friends of this guy that I, I met in, in Kenya who owned the best restaurant in Kenya, the, the Tamarind Group. And they had Burgundy and I thought Burgundy was awesome. And then I tasted this Pinot Noir from California. I didn't know there was a connection. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, this is really wine. <laughs> and I can almost afford it. <laughs> well, see, because I was invited to these events, right, yeah, exactly. I didn't have to afford it. I've always said the best, like if, the best Burgundy is Ross, you know, yeah. other people's Burgundy. I don't go to Gramercy right. Taverns. But on like some agency's dime or some right. wider's dime, <laughs> down with the OPP, other people's Pinot. <laughs> Shout out to Andre Mac. <laughs> um, yeah, that's amazing. So uh, you're riding the wave, and 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 like, did you dive right in, and uh, you know, did you purchase some grapes, decide to make some wine, did you buy some land? What was like kind of like the the path to? Halleck Vineyards. Well, you know, I like to live by the motto, it's better to be lucky than smart. And so, uh, wow. Clear, clearly, <laughs> here we are. And here we are. We were all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, I was, you know, I bought a little house in Menlo Park, California, just a, a total fixer upper built in 1928. It was before Silicon Valley was really Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I fixed up the house and, and all of a sudden on paper, I became a, a very wealthy man mm -hmm. by my own you know, by my own standards, having moved to California on being on food stamps. Yeah. And uh, well, we need a whole episode. Of <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, I was uh, I, working in the wine industry and working in Silicon Valley. Those those were my clients mm -hmm. uh, just because I thought, gosh, if I'm doing marketing and graphic design and I, gosh, I'd rather work for wineries. Uh, so, and I was, I love the technology ideas. So, so I was working, so I was kind of bifurcated and then it, it reached a point where I said, well, I can either live in Silicon Valley and commute to wine country or live in wine country and commute to Silicon Valley. And so I put my house on the market, which was like a three bedroom, two bath on kind of a postage stamp lot in Menlo Park. And I was able to trade it pretty much straight across for four acres in a brand new house in Sebastopol, which nobody had ever heard of. And, uh, and what year is this? Yeah. This is 1990. Okay. And we planted the very, Those were the days. Right? we planted the very first vineyard in West Sonoma County. And, uh, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, we ordered the rootstock out of the yellow pages <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, uh, those of us who remember the yellow pages and, uh, that's so, awesome. so. that's awesome. And, and again, I've been to that website. <laughs> <laughs> and did, uh, did you look under R for rootstock <laughs> right, right. G or G for grapevines? <laughs> it was under nursery. Oh, right. right. Yeah, it was probably it was Nova vine or something. Right? Yeah. You know, and there were big display ads. We went to the little like one liners. <laughs> <Right. you know? laughs> They can and, afford an ad in this book. Yeah, yeah. I can't afford well, we their product. Afford them, right? And and the one of the first one-liners in that in the columns was a guy named uh, James Caldwell, who's become an, you know uh, a legend. But we called him up, and and he had some, you know, he had some uh, some uh, rootstock from uh, Dijon, and uh, he came out and talked to us, and I mean. He just sold us on these these three clones, seven seven seven, six six seven, and one fifteen that we put on our one acre, right. and uh, the three classic Burgundy right. clones. Totally. Yeah, and uh, nobody had planted out there before, uh, and and you know, again in the theme of lucky there, rather than lucky than smart, our kids. By that time, we you know we planted the vineyard with the hope that. Um, we could sell the fruit. That was a big, that was a big vision. Didn't know if it would even produce, <coughs> excuse me. And, uh, uh, and we could sell the fruit and pay for the agriculture and maybe have a little leftover for the college education of our then infant son. Uh, we had three sons by the time that vineyard actually produced fruit. It took six years. And at Gotta that something like right, when you, <laughs> someone was fruitful. <laughs> Those are great. <laughs> yeah, right. Zero grapes, three children. <laughs> well, we, actually, probably less expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our kids were going to school with this, with these kids from uh, these kids whose parents uh, included this guy named Greg LaFollette. and Greg. Greg. Was, yeah. Greg. And so Greg was. He's got uh, a group of kids. <laughs> he's got a group of kids. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't hard to hit one of the ages. 
and uh, <laughs> and we met, and he just fell all over us wanting to buy our fruit and uh, made our first vintage with our name on it. And it won number one Pinot Noir in the United States right out of the gate. And we decided that so this being was like a brand guy. Late, late 90s by then. Uh, this is late uh, 19, yeah, late 90s. Okay. Uh, the vintage was uh, 2001 that uh, okay. that he produced the fruit. We'd sold the fruit a couple of years. And then uh, he asked to buy the fruit and then he put our name on it. And that was 2001. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we agreed that he wouldn't have to pay for that fruit if he would be our winemaker. Because guess what? I was a brand guy. So right. I thought we win number one Pinot Noir in the United States. That seems to be you know, the provenance required to build yeah, a brand. Yeah, it's a no-brainer to have yeah. them stay your winemaker. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so for reference, where is the vineyard? What, what for, you know, so it's like, like everybody knows downtown Sebastopol. What road are you on? So we're out in West Sebastopol near Freestone, so I'll pretend everybody knows yeah. where Freestone yeah, is. Sure. So we'll it, it's halfway between, um, uh, let's say, Highway 101 yeah. heading up through Santa Rosa and maybe two-thirds of the way to the Pacific Ocean. Right. I think people know where the Pacific Ocean yeah. is. Right. And so, you know, we can I've see the golf balls into it. <laughs> so we can see the Pacific Ocean from our property yep. and we can also see Mount St. Helena over in Saint yeah. in, in okay. Napa County. You got a good idea. Right. So you're also up on you have some a little bit of elevation. Yeah, we're at almost 900 feet. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's beautiful out there. Yeah, well, cool. gosh, I pinch myself every day. Yeah, yeah it's pretty. A little, pretty a little fixer up in, and, in Menlo yeah. Park to yeah. Yeah. a view yeah. of the Pacific Ocean was, in Mount Santa Helena. You're right. In in 1990, West Sonoma County was still relatively undiscovered. It, it, it was all apples. And, um, and, and there were those tracts of properties that were deals. Like if you lived in, I grew up in Petaluma, and we used to always think that if you wanted to buy your first house, you could go to Sebastopol and buy mm -hmm. your first house. Because mm -hmm. it was far enough off 101. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Give me mm -hmm. your quote. Yeah, it, it was a schlep, as we like to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I speak so, that language. So, well, so tell us, you're here today for a reason. What, what brought you to the conference? Well, you know, we've been very fortunate. Um, we've had the unique distinction of winning number one Pinot Noir in the United States a number of times now. And, and in the early days, it was, you know, the, the Pinot Noir summit, you know, kind of a small competition, but, you know, then we went on to win um, the number one Pinot or the best of class actually in the Chronicle a couple of times. And so it's, 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 it's reinforced our position as a luxury brand, which, you know, to be honest, has to do with scarcity. Yep. And uh, so, so we make, you know, we sell all the wines that we make and it is primarily direct to consumer, you know, over 80% is direct to consumer. And with the, uh, you know, advancing uh, and, and rapid shift uh, to digital and to uh, more and more personalization and more and more ability to connect with our customers, uh, we are here to, to learn about that and to, to leverage some of the latest uh, ability to achieve intimacy. Right. And I think that's sort of the, that's sort of the, 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 the key to uh, both establishing and maintaining a luxury brand and also to growing a direct-to-consumer relationship is increased intimacy. Who, he, he, did you leak the transcript to our talk tomorrow night? <laughs> There'd have to be a transcript, MJ. <laughs> Happy to contribute. 
All that preparation, weeks of months, careful months, planning, man. months, 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 <laughs> months of planning. So oh man, reinvented the wheel. We're in so much trouble. <laughs> Barb's like, she loves us. Fortunately, she just rolled her eyes. No, we're we're she's here. Like, she's, like, she's like, and I, I'm, I'm not the. I don't believe these people, but Barb's like, no, these guys are geniuses. We don't think that, <laughs> right. but thank you for yeah, that. Thank, thank you thank for that you. vote of confidence, Pretty sure Barb. we're here to make all the other keynote <laughs> speakers look really good. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ross, man, um, like, we got to get together and do a podcast proper when you come to New York. I'll be there in March. Okay. You got to get me the date, so I'll book the studio, and we'll, we'll set it up. Mm. Need two hours. I'm hope. I mean, we've had cross guests. I had Moray, Breland, and you got but like... They're right in Sonoma. You yeah. should go sit down with them for a, a proper pod. Bring some wine. Bring and bring Happy some. Happy to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You got to bring. I would have today if if I'd known. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. My, I didn't know you were gonna. I didn't know. I mean, never mind. It's well, all. I could have looked in the app, right? right. I, I was gonna. I was gonna play myself. I didn't know who's gonna be here. Yeah, actually, I, know, I didn't know I was gonna be here till this morning oh, either. Yeah. yeah so this was a, a last night. <laughs> <laughs> Months of planning. <laughs> I, I mean, a little shout out to this this event. That app is incredible. Yeah, like really you is. know, as far as networking. Yep. Um, and um, figuring out who's here, and you can send the messages, and yeah. um, there's all sorts of um, questions and uh, polls. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, it brings the whole like, what was great about conferences being digital. Yeah. In into the, last, the into like in, the real the, world. No, it's, it's cool. But man, it's uh, your wines are phenomenal. How do people find them? Yeah. Quick, the the social media, the is there a tasting room? So uh, it's yeah. hallecvineyard.com. Okay. That's vineyard without an S. Okay. So H A L L E C K and vineyard without an S dot com. We uh, do uh, have a tasting room. It's my home, so right. it's very personal. It's obviously by appointment, and you know, getting back to that intimacy theme, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's nothing more intimate than sitting in the winemaker's home totally. and uh, and sharing wine. And and we 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 have emphasized that now 20 years, we've been uh, serving people out of my my cool. dining awesome. room. Right on, mm -hmm. right on, man. Well, congratulations. And, yeah. Um, hope you. Enjoy and thanks the again, man. And yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for having me. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming in. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. So I just was talking to Jeremy Benson this morning, and this conference has been going on for 16 years. I went to this conference first 14 years ago, and it was me and three other women and all white old dudes. And it was crazy because I was like looking around and I was thinking, this can't be like wine marketing, really? And I had just moved here from Chicago after having worked for Leo Burnett, and I'm like, oh man, this needs work. And, and walking around the conference this morning, I see a lot of really amazing young people. Bart and I said it's easily 70% female in there. Absolutely. Lots and easily. lots of yep. women. And, you know, not everybody's all the same shade. And everybody is like, it's so much different than it was when we started this. And yeah. I think that's reflective of the wine business in general in terms of becoming a lot more inclusive a lot more ideas and, and i always say barbara you know i think the wine business got thrown under the bus a little bit by being uninclusive but the fact is at least in production in the 80s and 90s there wasn't a lot of women but the wine wasn't cool in the 80s and 90s like like people weren't really into it not like it is now i mean it's it's not 
wine is wine is everywhere now. Wine is in commercials. It's on TV shows. Yeah, I think um, I see what you're you know saying. what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's product placement. Uh, not but 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 the the whole industry has just grown up a lot since right. then. I think so, but I also look at the women that that were there, the Mary Edwards of the world. Yeah, Kathy, they had to battle Kathy, for everything Kathy, they did. Kathy Corson, Heidi Barrett, Heidi Barrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there were women out there that were swinging. Yep, and, absolutely. And, and a lot of them were on the production side. Uh, absolutely, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying that they were there and they had to fight for it. That's because I, yeah, we're more pigs. saying they big. I want to, <laughs> yeah, I want to big up those women. Like, like I, I say to, I'm like, I'm like, you, like. They don't get enough credit. No, it's amazing, and that that kind of irks me a little bit. That like a lot of things on my podcast, I'd like to connect like the old school with the new school because like you know um, there, there have been people putting in the work. No, I mean I'm I was fortunate enough to meet Mary Edwards at um, a Catholic Charities event, and she she ponied up, but she got Sonoma Valley Vintners to do a million dollars for homeless and yeah. to get i mean it's like so those women are still out there swinging and yep. still Absolutely. making wine and, and great and, and great wines yeah and yeah, so yeah. for all those new female winemakers out there there's some real inspirational people for them to identify them. do a little research and yeah. and, and that's i'm trying to give credit to yeah we're giving yeah. because again the first seller i worked in all male yeah. and and a woman would have been disgusted working in the cellar with us and then i started working at a winery where there were some women in the cellar and and they did they had to fight to you know be included in things and uh, and it was the that mindset and so. on the and on the marketing side i went to meetings that were that were crazy right i went to meetings with guys who shall remain nameless who like said well the man owns the wine club because he's got the credit card and i'm sitting there going <laughs> You're making this up, right? I'm like, if, if mom isn't getting the Chardonnay that she likes, you know, you're out. And then, and then, and then the other one was, it's like, well, my nephew got a degree in marketing from Davis, and he's in the basement doing social media. And I'm like, oh man, it's like, there's a lot of work to do here. But long story short, the Direct to Consumer Wine Symposium has progressed. Yeah. Um, I see, you know, representation across media that's really important. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've worked with Jeremy Benson and Steve Gross and a lot of people who have given time and talent and effort to making it more inclusive and and more forward thinking, because, I mean, that's we still have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do in the totally. wine business because, I mean, frankly, it's such a magical category. There's so many people who do great wines and have so, and it's poetic and it's imaginative and, and you can do really cool things. If we just open our minds and we get younger people in to do and do a better to job. Buy a ninety-five dollar box of wine. Right. Yeah, Barb's on that. <laughs> so anyway, I'll keep I'll keep swinging. I, I, I mean, I th I thought it was really fascinating when Steve Gross said that. You know, or pointed out the fact that in the mid '80s there was no direct I know. consumer yeah. business. Right? <clears throat> yeah. No. I mean, I mean, direct to consumer was come pick it up at the winery, and if you need to get it home, you figure out how to get it home. Yeah, and and today there are people from all kinds of backgrounds, and I go down and I I went to Paso and saw amazing winemakers down there. And then up in Walla Walla, and it's it's a community of people. Even though it's very disparate, they have this mindset that's like it will blow your mind because it's all about imagination and poetry and really, really getting into the flavor. And it's hard to make wine at a high level. It's it's time consuming and difficult and expensive. People put their hearts and souls into it, 
And so we just have to make consumers care more. And the way mm. that we need to make consumers care more is by doing better marketing. And as the last gentleman was pointing out, something that's more intimate that gets you involved with the product. Right. Cool. I mean, this is, I, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. This is always a conference that I've seen you know, the promotion for and seen from afar, I knew there was important things happening. Um, it also conflicts with my going to eco farm when I get to go be a hippie, uh, organic farmer on the coast. Um, which is probably why I've never, I've never made it. But, um, I mean, really the people who listen to our shows who aren't on the you know industry side, um, they're all, the consumers that we're talking about in these in these rooms, um, they're people who love the interesting, poetic, creative wines, and the only way to get them is direct. direct I mean, that's the only way that it works yeah. for any of us, yeah. right? Yeah. And so. and making those and making those businesses happen. Yeah. I was I, during the pandemic. I had so many people that reached out to me that because I knew I was in this world. It's like, what can we do? And people were supporting people digitally, and that's yep. why. That's really important to continue that because it is supporting farming at a really foundational level. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Thanks, Barb. Cool. Happy to be here. Appreciate you. And come next year. You see it. I hope so. Come yeah, next you know, year yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then go to you. Well, that, that, that remains maybe to be we can, seen. So we'll, right. we'll know around like right. 9, yeah. 9, 9 46 a.m. tomorrow. We'll know if we're coming we're back. Invited back. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I'm, pre I'm pretty confident. <laughs> I appreciate your confidence, however yeah. misplaced it may be. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the yeah. results. <laughs> yeah. It's streaming live somewhere, I think. <laughs> right on. Uh, shout outs. Happy birthday, Philippe Combi. Happy birthday, Philippe Combi. Uh, this wine is amazing. Thank you. Delicious. So, this is, you know, this is one of the last, it's probably the last Audutet that he actually tasted. Is, uh, you know, Isabella would have brought a sample home. Nice. Uh, so, happy to get it out into the world. Um, Cheers to, cheers to friends who aren't here. Yeah, yeah. cheers to friends who didn't, didn't make it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, since it's going to be on my platform, I'm going to say, uh, you know, make sure you check out this uh, the show notes. Uh, that's where we'll put the links to the guests we had. Um, and cheers to all the, the Mavericks, the deep thinkers, and all your wine drinkers. It's your boy, MJ. Peace. Peace. See ya. Hey, we, we can't top that outro. All right. Do whatever MJ says. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was fun. Did you know that one out of every five bottles of collectible wines is a fake? Rare Liquid has solved this problem with a tech platform that provides unprecedented trust and transparency for next-gen wine collectors. Working directly with iconic artisans, they verify each bottle's provenance at its source, then track its rarity, ownership, storage, and transfer history on the blockchain. Rare Liquid members get exclusive access to these verified rare wines and can buy, store, and pimp their collections on the Rare Liquid platform. Membership includes physical seller storage as well as cloud sellers where you can display and trade bottles frictionlessly online without ever having to move the bottle until it's ready to be consumed. And because Rare Liquid tracks these on the blockchain, for the first time, artisans get a residual payment every time one of their bottles transfers ownership. Rare Liquid's game-changing tech creates a safe and frictionless experience for next-gen collectors while fairly rewarding iconic artisans for their craft. Rare Liquid membership is by invite only, but luckily I can help. 
I have a limited number of these invitations available for you, my listeners. And if you're interested in learning more about Rare Liquid, please reach out. You can hit me up on Instagram at Black Wine Guy, or even better, send me an email, blackwineguy at gmail.com and drop Rare Liquid in the subject line. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>